Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. So let me just add my welcome to you and glad you are here. Uh, I always I have to say this, if you have not had a chance, because they just kind of sit way back in the back, in the corner, trying to let everyone not know who they are. But if you haven't had a chance to welcome the Graves, Mike and Vicki are here today, and so make sure you get a chance to uh, hug them and slobber on them and everything else that we're not supposed to do right now just to make them feel welcome. So we are glad that you are here. We're glad if you're joining us online, and hopefully you're connecting with Chad uh, there as well. So I'm going to just start and get right with it, right, to just right at it, okay? So by a show of hands, and I know the answer to this, so you better be honest. By the show of hands, how many of you have ever told a lie? And if you haven't raised your hand, then raise your hand because you're lying, right? Okay. By a show of hands, we're getting a little bit more real here. By a show of hands, how many of you have lied to your parents? And I know that's tough because some of you are sitting with your parents right now, right? So, so it's getting even a little bit more real. How many of you have told a lie to your parents in the last week? I'm kidding. Don't, don't answer that. I know. Drew, that really got you sweating, didn't it? I, I know it did. I know it did. You don't have to answer that. So the reason, the reason I did that is because I want us to all make sure that we're all in the same playing field here, okay? Because I'm getting ready to share a story with you about my childhood that might shock a few of you, but I just want you to remember before you judge me, you raised your hand, all right? So we are all in the same playing field right now, okay? But to get a full understanding of this story, we kind of have to understand a little bit of the back story to, to kind of understand the full, the full gamut of it. So I have a sister, and she is uh, four years older than I am. And let's just say that uh, our childhood years were not beautiful. Um, we did not get along at all, at all when we were kids. And probably it was because I was about four years younger than her, four and a couple of months years younger than her. And so every stage of life that she was transitioning into, I was transitioning into another stage that would just annoy her, okay? And so I'm sure I was that annoying little brother at every stage of life that she was going through. Now, my sister and I are great now. We get along wonderful now. We're, we're very good friends. But when we were kids, I have, um, I, I believe that she attempted to murder me at least twice, in my life. And there was probably more, but I don't remember them because I was like an infant, but I've, I've been told stories. So she broke the big wheel. She broke the brake on my big wheel. Okay. And you think, well, what's the big deal about a big wheel brake? Well, when you're used to driving down your driveway and like pulling the brake up into a slide, why cars are coming down the street and she breaks it and doesn't tell you, you know what happens when you pull the brake and it just comes off? You go right in the middle of the street, right? Let's just say that we're glad that that lady had the Midas touch, and I didn't have to get ran over that day, all right? She also attempted to kill me by throwing me out of a treehouse. My, uh, my friends and I had uh, spent a whole weekend uh, developing this treehouse, and we were uh, up in the treehouse enjoying the fruits of our labor, and her and her friends decided to take the treehouse over, and she pushed me completely out of the treehouse. Now, in my mind, I fell 20, 30, maybe 40 feet. The reality was I probably fell about three. But when I landed, I landed on my back, and it completely knocked the wind out of me. If you've ever had that happen, you think you're going to die. And so I really believe that I was being, uh, uh, my attempt on life was there as well. 
Um, she did not take care of me very well. As most of you know, older siblings are supposed to babysit and take care of the younger siblings. Uh, she failed constantly to put sunscreen on me. I mean, I was like an undiagnosed ADHD kid, so I mean, I didn't know what sunscreen was. I would just run around like a chicken with my head cut off all the time. She was supposed to put sunscreen on me, and she never did. I got blistered many a times. Uh, she broke the garbage disposal one time by putting a popsicle stick in the garbage disposal, and she didn't like popsicles, so I was the one that got blamed for that, and I got in trouble over that. So see, you can see there's like this pattern of abuse that is happening in my childhood, okay? So I had every right to be upset. I had every right to be angry. I had every right to be bitter. And granted, I probably wasn't the perfect child. But as the time I was 11 or 12 years old, I'd finally had enough. And it was time to strike. It was time to strike hard and no mercy. Is that Cobra Kai? I think it is, Cobra Kai. It was time to strike. And so Chris, my neighbor, my, guy, my friend that lived across the street, we came up with this diabolical, deceitful plan that we were going to put into motion. And the plan was this. We were going to toilet paper and confetti my own house to make it look like my sister's friends did it so that she would be in trouble. Now, is that not just a great plan? Is that not just an incredible plan? Now, many of you are like, well, toilet paper. and Everyone got toilet paper in the 80s, right? Yeah, that's right. But you did not, under, you did not have the dad that I had, all right? See, my dad was very, 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 and I'll throw another, very meticulous about his yard, okay? And my dad was so meticulous about his yard that even if you like rode your bike through the yard, you had to go fluff up like every blade of grass before he got home or you'd be in trouble. So, so this was like a big deal. This feat had been attempted at least twice, and they had failed. And there was punishment involved with the people that attempted it. So this was a pretty big, this is a pretty big thing. So we decided that we would put this plan into motion. And so we started uh, taking toilet paper from my house, and he had to take toilet paper from his house, and, and I'd take some more from my house, and he from his house. And we collected all this toilet paper, and we kept it at Chris's house so that we would not be caught. And then we would take the evening paper the next day, and we would go to Chris's house after school, and we would just meticulously cut up this paper into confetti to the point where we filled two lawn bags full of confetti. All right, And the plan was, we, we really thought this out, the plan was to find a cool fall evening. Why a cool fall evening? Because of the dew in the morning, the toilet paper would stick to the trees and the confetti would stick to the grass. And so that was our plan. And so the night we chose to do this, to carry out this operation, TP the docks, with one dock perpetrating it, um, we decided to, 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 to go forward with it, and we spent, I spent the night at Chris's house. We snuck out, and we accomplished the feat. We, we did it. We pulled it off. We, we pulled it off. I could hardly sleep that night because we had pulled it off, and I couldn't hardly wait to get home the next morning to go in the house and say, Mom, Dad, look what happened to our yard. And so I did that because, I, you know, I wanted them to see just the beauty of the toilet paper just shimmering through the trees and the, and the, and this confetti on the ground, like a new fallen white snow, right? I wanted him to see it. And so, so I went in, I yell, I say, Hey mom, dad, look what happened to the yard. And my first miscalculation was actually how mad my dad actually got. Um, have you ever seen the, the story, the, the movie, the Christmas story, when he goes downstairs and he gets into it with the heater you guys remember that scene? 
that was pleasant compared to how my dad reacted. I mean, he started yelling. He was saying names. He was saying stuff like, whoever did this, when we catch them. And I knew right then and there, I had to lie. I was like, there's no way in the world that I can ever come clean about this incident in my life. And so immediately, do you know who did this? No. Did you hear anything? No. Did you see anyone drive? No, no, no. I continued to lie about it and I had to redirect. And so immediately I said something to the effect of, oh my gosh, I guarantee it. Teresa's friends did it. They can drive. Can you believe how bad they got Teresa? To which I got a look. I got a look that I knew again, I could never let this, this, this truth be told about this incident. The other thing I miscalculated, and this is probably the worst, is that with all the deceit, with all the lying, I still had to help my sister clean the yard up that day. So, and she didn't even get in trouble either. She didn't even get in trouble. So today we're continuing to talk about under construction, building homes that, that last and endure. And we're talking about the aspect of what are the traits, what are the things that we need so that our homes can endure the storms of life, our homes can endure uh, what culture throws at us, our homes can endure the, the trials of life. And yes, today we are talking about honesty, honesty. And so as I thought about this subject, there's a lot of ways that we could go with this when it comes to talking about honesty in the home. And, and, and I thought about talking about the value of, of honest and transparent conversation in the home. I thought about talking about the consequences of lying in the home, right? When we lie to our parents, when we lie to our children, when we lie uh, to our, our, our roommates or whoever, right? I thought a little bit about this whole idea of generational sin. I thought of Abraham. I mean, here's a guy that uh, God created a covenant with that God promised a nation to, a guy whose lineage, whose lineage he would save the world through, the patriarch of, of Abraham in the Old Testament. Yet there was a line of generational sin because of lying and deceit. There's all kinds of storylines. There's all kinds of scriptures in the Bible about honesty and lying. But here's where I landed. Here's the thought that kept coming back to me, is that's this, that there is a direct correlation between our ability to be honest with God and our ability to be honest and transparent with others that we love. There is a direct relationship. We cannot truly be honest with others unless we are first honest with God about who we are. And so today, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what does it mean to be honest with God? Because if we miss this, if we miss this, we miss this with relationships with those we love. If you want to be honest, if you want to have honest as a trait for your home, if you want that to be a part of, of your home, as we learn to be honest with God, those same traits flow into our relationships in our homes. And so turn with me, if you would, to 1 John 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 5. And as you're looking at that, or we'll have them on the screens for you as well. So John here is writing to believers. He's writing to Christ followers. In fact, it was, it was written to a region of churches. And he was writing to remind them about some of the most vital aspects of their faith. And he was attempting to counter some false teachings that were beginning to filter throughout the church in that day and time. And one of them was the truth about sin. 
And see, we deceive ourselves sometimes when it comes to sin in our lives. We like to justify our actions and our attitudes. We like to shift blame. We like to point fingers. We even sometimes want to pretend that we are someone or something that we are not. And as you see here, when we read this, John is reminding them to be honest with God. In verse, uh, in verse 5, it says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In, in him there is no darkness. So again, John is saying, listen, remember, this is the message. This is what you've been taught. This is what you've been told. That God is light, which means God is everything that is good. He is everything that is pure. He is everything that is true. He is everything that is holy. He is everything that is reliable. God is light. That's the message you heard. Remember that. And he says in verse 6, he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we don't, do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children... He's saying this because he loves them. He loves these people. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, if anyone does, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the righteous one. He is the, anointing, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So again, it is important for us to remember that this was written to the church. This was written to Christ followers. This was written to, Why is that important? Because truth be told, what's the church made up of? The church is made up of sinning people who have been saved from their sins by a good God. Let me say that again. The church is made up of sinful people who have been saved from their sins by a good God. Yet there are many of us, myself included at times, that want to lie and want to be deceiving and want to be dishonest about the sin in our own life. And the sin, and sin, by the way, is this. It's not just not doing the things that I think I should do, okay? It's not just, sin is not just a list of things that when I comply with them, I'm good, and when I don't comply with them, I'm bad, okay? Sin is any disobedience to God, and it doesn't just happen to always have to be actions. But a lot of times, sin occurs in the heart, in the heart as well. And so the first thing I see John saying here is this. In verse 8, he says, be honest with yourself about sin. That's the first thing John's teaching us. Be honest with yourself about sin. Verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Several years ago, there was a uh, game show called Moment of Truth. Anybody remember that? It wasn't on very long. It was about 10, 12 years ago. It was called Moment of Truth. Um, and, and, and the point of the show was that you could win $500,000 if you could answer 21 questions honestly. And the entire time, you're hooked up to a polygraph or lie detector test, and you're asked these questions. 
okay? In one episode, there was a lady who truthfully admitted on national TV that she had cheated on her husband, admitted she should have married her ex-boyfriend, all while sitting right in front of her husband. And she had one more question to answer. She was down to number 21 to get $500,000. And she was asked this, do you believe you're a good person? Do you believe you're a good person? And after admitting to cheating on her husband, destroying her marriage, admitting she wished she would have married someone else, she answered, yes, honestly, I think I'm a good person. To which the lie detector test said she was lying. So what's that say? She wanted to believe she was a good person. She was trying to figure out how she could be a good person, but deep down inside, she was deceiving herself about who she really was. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing. The reality is that she wanted to convince herself that she was okay. She wanted to convince herself that that she was who she really wasn't. And many of us do the same things, don't we? We deceive ourselves in so many different ways. Addictions are created and continued because we deceive ourselves. We don't have a problem. I can stop any time. It's not that big of a deal. Anybody or everybody's doing it. Listen, addiction comes in many forms, folks. I mean, we talk about drugs and alcohol and porn. That seems to get the rap a lot of times when it comes to addiction. But there's a lot of things when we talk about addiction. It's deceiving what we can become addicted on. Work can be, work, work can be addictive. What? Work. Work is good. It is good. But when work is what drives you to get up in the morning, when work is what all you think about, when work is what consumes your every thought, when, when everything about work is so I can have this and I can get this and I can have that and I can be promoted to here and I can be promoted to here and yet you see your family, your family uh, combined 60 minutes throughout the entire week, that's not good. That's not good. We deceive ourselves when it comes to forgiveness. We justify it because we've been hurt. We justify it because it's hurt someone we love. But yet... We say we forgive, but yet the very name of that person or the very thought of that person, anger just boils up inside of us. Throw bitterness in there. Again, we can justify it all we want all day long. But John says, listen, you need to be honest. You need to be honest about sin in your life. You need to call it what it is. Verse 8, again, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If you claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Second thing I think John is saying to us, this is this. This is this. Is this. Is be honest with God about our sin. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the word is not in us. So verse 9, it's interesting. Verse 9 starts out with a conditional statement. If, if's the key word, if we confess our sins, not when you confess your sins, but if we confess our sins, meaning maybe you will, maybe you won't, but it's up to you. It's up to you. In other words, confession, it's up to you. You have free will when it comes to confess your sins. You can cover them up with lies and deceit if you want, or you can be honest with God and you can confess your sins. But I'll tell you this, 
Your choice reveals your relationship with God. Your choice reveals your relationship with God. The same applies in the home, if you want to be honest, right? Your ability to, to, to when, you, when, you, when you do something against somebody and your ability to be honest with them, that reveals your relationship with them. The same with God. You can confess, you cannot confess. It's up to you. Listen, confession is a necessary part of the Christian life. It's a necessary part. Even though you're a believer, even though you're a Christian, there are times when we commit sins. Can we at least agree on that? Because all of us are a process, right? Every single one of us is a process. The word sin, again, it literally means to miss the mark. Every single one of us, myself included, we miss the mark at times. And John is speaking to the church, and he's speaking to Christians. He says, we need to be honest with God about our sin, and we need to confess it. And let's just be clear, we're not confessing for fear that we're going to lose our salvation. That's not what John's saying. That's not it at all. But we are confessing because we are indicating to God we recognize we have missed the mark. And we are in agreement with him, not for fear of losing our salvation, but more of the fear that we will lose the joy of our salvation as that guilt and that shame continue to stay upon us. And then we forget about the grace that we have experienced through Christ Jesus and what he did on the cross. That's why we confess our sin. The word confess literally means to say the same thing. It means to say the same thing. To confess is to say the same thing that God says about your sin. It is to admit your guilt to God. It is to agree with God that what that thought was you had, that action you did, that word you said, that was wrong. That was wrong. It's an agreement. It's admitting my guilt to God. So let's just take a second and not move too quick, but let's look at confession for just a moment. Because there's a couple of things that we need to realize about confession. And the first is this. When we confess, it means that we take responsibility. It means we take responsibility. In Genesis, Adam and Eve messed up, did they not? Where we are today because of them, correct, right? When Adam was approached by God and asked about it, who do you think he blamed? He blamed Eve, right? When he approached Eve, who did Eve blame? Not Adam, the serpent, right? We have a natural tendency to point fingers, to shift blame, to make excuses, And confession requires us to take responsibility for our actions. We're not to blame it on God. We're not to blame it on our environment. We're not to blame it on our parents and our family background. Don't blame it on the people who have hurt you. No, take responsibility for what you did and confess it. When the kids were little and they'd done something that required an apology, we'd ask them to apologize. And as you probably got in your house, you'd get the proverbial, sorry, or sorry, as you're walking away, sorry, you know, but in our house, it was when they said that, who's sorry? Who's sorry? I'm sorry, because that's taking responsibility for it. Not just sorry, but who's sorry? I'm sorry. So we have to take responsibility with our confession. The other thing is this confession needs to be specific. I read a quote this week, and it was perfect for uh, this talk, and it said, listen, you can't sin retail and confess wholesale, right? You can't sin retail and confess wholesale. And that is so true. When you confess, God desires for us to be specific about what it is that we're agreeing with him about. Because remember, that's what confession is all about for the believer, for the Christ follower. 
We need to be specific about the things that I've thought, the things that I have said, the things that I have done. Be specific and call sin what it is. But see, we struggle with that. We struggle with that because we kind of like to clump everything together. We like to clump our day together, our week together, and we go to bed at night and we say, God, you know, forgive me of my, all, all my sins today. And, you know, the, the things that I can't remember that I did and, and the things that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tired, so I really don't want to talk about it all tonight. But God, just forgive me all my sins. And while we're at it, can you forgive me about the sins I'm going to do tomorrow and maybe the next week? We try to minimize it. We try to minimize it. We kind of give this generalized, encompassing prayer that hopefully just kind of covers everything. And that's not true confession. Again, when the kids were little and they'd say, what did you do? I'm sorry. Who's sorry? I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? What are you sorry for? Are you sorry to get mom and dad off your back? Or are you sorry for what you've done? It's not just a generalized statement. And, and here's, here's why this is so important. Here's why this is so important. Because naming specific sin in our lives, it distinguishes between the accusations of Satan in our lives and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's why this is so important, because usually when the enemy, when Satan is kind of on us, when he accuses, it's usually in general terms. He makes you feel like a bad person or that you're not good enough or that you'll never be good enough or that you're always going to be a mistake. You're always going to be this. And why does he do that? Because he doesn't want to be specific because he doesn't want you to get right with God. But the Holy Spirit convicts specifically on that action or that thought or that. Why? Because he wants you to get right with God. He wants you to get right with God. You know immediately when you've done something or said something you shouldn't do. You feel it inside. I guarantee every single one. You do that and you're like, dang it, I should have done that. You said that thought, I shouldn't have said that. And God's saying, when you get that, when you experience that, confess it. Confess it. The third thing when it comes to confession, and this is the last thing on confession, is we should be prompt. We should be prompt about it. Don't wait. Don't wait till you have a large list piled up. You know, don't wait. Whenever you feel the Spirit of God convict, confess it. Own it. Own it. Confess it. You know, the reality of it is, is the more you delay it, the more you give the enemy a foothold. The more you give the enemy a foothold in your life, and the more he's going to continue to rob you of the joy of our salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. So we need to be honest with ourselves about our sin. We need to be honest with God about our sin. And last, we need to be honest about the remedy for our sin. Verse 9 says this again, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 9 gives us two incredible, incredible attributes of God, two promises of God, that he is faithful and that he is just. God is the only person who will be faithful all the time. All the time. Your spouse will not be faithful all the time, not in a bad way, just your kids will never continue to be faithful. Your friends will never continue to be faithful. God is the only one who will be faithful to you all the time. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful. God is a promise keeper. God will never 
ever let you down. He will always keep his word. He gives us the promise to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says this, John says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's the goal, right? I mean, that's the goal, that we will not sin. That's the goal. Understanding probably won't happen this side of heaven, but that's the goal. And he says, but, but if anyone does, guess what? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Listen, Jesus is the remedy for sin, plain and simple. Doesn't get any more plain than that. Jesus is the remedy for sin. There are all kinds of people who believe in all kinds of gods, little g, but that does not make, make it belief in the one true God. See, the one true God, God the Father, sent his son to, our, to the earth, and he died on a cross and paid a debt for our sin, yours and mine. In fact, John says in verse 2, the sins of mine and yours, but the sins of the whole world. However, that payment only gets credited when we put our faith and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, believing in him and who he is and what he did on the cross and rose again on the third day. Being good enough, it's not the remedy. It's not the remedy. Being better than someone, it's not the remedy. Why? Because you're not better than someone. You're sinning in a different way, but it's not the remedy. Being rich enough, it's not the remedy. You'll never make enough. You'll never have enough. You'll never be able to gain enough. The only remedy for sin is receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the only remedy to continue experiencing continued fellowship with God for the believer is to confess our sins to Jesus, who is our advocate, who speaks to the Father in our defense. So Jesus is the remedy for sin, he is the remedy for salvation, and he is the remedy so that we can experience fellowship with God, true fellowship with God, and we can live out the joy of our salvation. Let's pray. And Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. Father God, thank you so much for what you have done in our lives. Father, we thank you that we can come to you, that we can be honest with you. Father God, we just say thank you that you are always faithful in our lives. Heavenly Father, allow us just in these few moments right here, just to kind of give an introspect of who we are with you. Take a little bit of an inventory just real quick. Am I being honest with sin in my life? Am I being honest with you about sin in my life? Are there things in my life, Father God, that I have continued to let go, that I have continued to, to, to walk towards and in? Are there things in my life that are allowing me and that, that, are, that, are, that are stealing the joy, the complete joy that I can have through you? And God, today, we just come before you again, and we lay our lives at the feet of the cross today. And we again say, thank you for who you are. Thank you, Father God, for, for your son, Jesus, that we have salvation through. And Father God, we ask that you do a work 
in all of our lives. Father God, would honesty, would honesty be a trait that we live out in our lives, in our homes? Father God, would you work in our lives? Would you work in our homes today? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.